The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Business Radio Show. This is the no-bullshit, straight-talking radio show that's dedicated to assisting all entrepreneurs to be more successful. Coming to you from my hometown of Los Angeles, which today is wet. Unusual, but I guess it's got to happen from time to time. I get about 10 business plans a day from companies all over the world who are looking for help in some way. You know, some of them are looking um, for help to form a business model. Others need help in creating a business plan. Some need expertise for their management or to join the board. Others need investment. So they come to me for all different reasons. There are so many fantastic ideas out there, but only about one in a hundred will be successful because the idea, the product or the service is only a very small part of being successful. So whether you've got a successful business up and running or you're an entrepreneur, I'll start that again, an entrepreneur getting started, this program is all about helping you. So I want you to write to me, email me, tweet me, be my contact on LinkedIn, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe to my newsletter. Tell me what you think, tell me what you'd like me to talk about, share your ideas and your criticisms, and we will endeavour to do everything we can to discuss your topics. Just as we were coming off air last week, my engineer, who incidentally is fantastic and brings this program to you without glitches, told me that he'd bought my book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, and was up to about page 90. He told me he was really enjoying it and had learned a lot. I asked him, I said, you know, what was the thing that really stuck in your mind? And he said to me, the bit about the blinds company being in the climate control business, that was really important to me. I reckon you should talk about that on the show. And it is a great lesson for every business, so I thought I'd touch on it now at the start of today's show. I've spoken often on this program about the need for us to really know and understand our customers and exactly what it is that they would do business with us. I mean, what are they actually buying? You know, I gave a presentation to a franchise group in Los Angeles, in Las Vegas last week. There are about a thousand franchisees in the room. And as I wandered through the audience, which I usually do during my presentations, I asked them what were they really selling? And I went one-on-one and confronted about a dozen people or so and said, you know, what is it that you're selling? 
What are your customers buying? And everybody told me the industry they're in. Now, I'm not going to tell you what industry they're in because it narrows it down too much. But nobody told me what the customer was actually buying. Now, to give you my example that the engineer mentioned, we're engaged by a company that made blinds, blinds for windows, and they made horizontal blinds and vertical blinds, thin blinds, wide blinds, pink blinds, yellow blinds. You can buy them in all these different colours. And this is what they said in all their advertising. We have the blind for you, wooden, plastic, vertical, horizontal, pink, blue, green. We've got a blind for every household. However... Their business was failing. Sales were lousy. People just were not buying blinds. Now, this company really believed they were in the blind business. Now, just ask yourself for a second, why would people buy blinds for their windows? You don't wake up in the morning and have a passionate desire to buy a blind today, do you? So why do you buy blinds? Well, you'd buy blinds because yesterday was really 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 hot and you thought if i put blinds on the windows i can keep my house cooler so people in the majority buy blinds to keep their homes cooler in the summer and warmer in the winter so that's why people buy blinds so companies that sell blinds are not in the blind business they're in the climate control business so we changed their advertising to keep your home 30 degrees cooler in summer instead of we have all these blinds and sales went through the roof. In the last 30 years or so, I have never had a client that is in the business that they think they, they're in. You must look at it from the customer's perspective. <laughs> I just got a message from my <laughs> engineer that said, it's right on page 90. So <laughs> that's not a bad memory from a week ago. So you've got to look at it from the customer's perspective. Unless you're selling them what they're looking to buy, you will have a disconnect and you won't close the sale. So let's look at another example. If you're making windows, what are you selling? At this conference in Vegas, I ask this same question and a thousand people just sat there. You know, they'd been put off by my um, telling them that they didn't know what they were selling with, with the blinds. So put yourself in the customer's shoes. Why would you buy a window? To get a view, to look at the mountains, to watch the kids around the pool. So people buy windows to get a view. So again, we changed our clients' advertising to instead of we make great windows out of great wood and great glass. I mean, who gives a rats about that? No one. The product's only a means to an end. So it's about they were selling views. Watch your kids 24-7. That's what they were doing. So ask yourself what it is that my clients are buying. And until you know that, you can't possibly communicate effectively with them. As per the last couple of weeks, I'm devoting the whole last segment of the show to answering your emails. And remember, if I read a copy of your email on air, you'll receive a copy of my book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, which is a step-by-step -step guide to guaranteeing your business will become successful. Today, we've only got one guest. Normally, we have two because 
I'm going to discuss why you can't include United Airlines and customer service in the same sentence. Now, I'm going to do that in the third quarter of this program, so have a listen. And my guest today is Rob Dickens, who was chairman of Warner Brothers Music, working with Prince, Foreigner, Madonna, Seal, Simply Red, Sure, and Rod Stewart, to name a few. Great interview. I rang him at 11.30 at night in London, just after a big night out, and uh, <laughs> we had a good interview. Over the past couple of weeks, we've discussed the dumb mistakes that companies frequently make, and tonight we're going to discuss yet another one. Too many of us are not persistent enough when trying to sell to a customer. We think no means no. Now, no doesn't mean no at all. It just means I'm not going to buy it right now. R.H. Macy failed seven times before his department store idea caught on. Colonel Sanders, at 68 years old or whatever he was, knocked on a 1,008 restaurant doors before someone said, OK, I'll try your secret formula for a cent apiece. So you have to be persistent. Too many businesses rely entirely too much on hoping that one ad or one office visit or one direct mailing will get the desired results. Success is not an event. It's a process. It takes time. Therefore, you should never put your faith in one ad, one mail campaign or one TV spot. You must commit to connecting with your prospects a minimum of eight times. And if you're not willing to do this and be this dedicated, then you shouldn't even be in the business. You need to decide that you're willing to connect with your prospects time and time and time again and hit them with the same benefit backpacked points over and over again from every conceivable angle in a determined effort to motivate your prospects to take action. Remember that no single business or marketing event will generally produce outstanding results. Not in today's competitive market. It used to be true that you could make a fortune off just one ad, one promotion. But today, it is not going to happen. And you should never plan on it. You must know precisely who you're targeting, what their desires are, and you must commit to connect with them again and again and again until they either prove they're not a prospect or until they see that you have the best solution to their issues. Any area of business requires persistency to say the least. You must work at it on a daily basis. Some days it'll be downright discouraging. You know, it, it, it's hard to keep knocking on doors. It's hard to keep trying to sell a prospect, but you cannot give up. If you've done your homework and you realise that you have the solution to your prospect's problems, if you've focused precisely on your target, then you must not get discouraged. You know, people read the enthusiasm. People don't buy the product. They buy your enthusiasm. So if you're enthusiasm and enthusiastic and committed and really believe in what you're selling, that energy will transfer and people will buy your product. If you go in and you're down a bit, you've been knocked back a couple of times and you're thinking, shit, this is hard, you know, this is really hard, 
then you're not going to make that sale. And if your prospects are not responding, then you need to refine your approach. You may need to reassess who you're trying to connect with. You might be talking to the wrong person. You might have to approach them from several different angles. You might need to go to their agency or, or their distributor or someone as well. You have to continually find new ways to impact them. In short, you've got to persist so that your prospects never have the opportunity to forget who you are and what you can do. And you've got to get them to like you. The only way to discover your prospects' hot buttons are to talk to them and talk to them and test and test. You can't predetermine what your marketplace wants, what the best price is, what the best packaging is, what the best combination of benefits are. You have to find that out. You have the obligation to find out from your market and from your potential client precisely what it is they want. And the only way to do that is to constantly talk to them, ask them questions, get more and more and more information. The point is that you cannot guess what your market's going to buy. It is not possible. Remember that Thomas Edison left school because the teachers said he wasn't capable of doing the work. Michael Blake, who wrote Dances with Wolves, was rejected for 26 years before Dancing with Wolves was finally published. You have to be persistent. Now, you might need advice, might need help with this. There's no need to spend a fortune on consultants. I work with some of the best in the world in a business called Market Force One Business Strategies, where for just two grand a month, you can get advice via Skype on any aspect of your business anytime you want it. So if you need any more information on that, contact me at bob at bobpritchard.com and I'll send it to you. You can pick up my book, which will give you 15 simple keys that if you follow, you will be successful. I guarantee you. And if it doesn't change your life and it doesn't change your business, drop me a note and I will refund your money. You can keep that book. I'll send you another book. I'll send you a bunch of tapes. Really make it up to you. It is that powerful. And don't forget to let me know what you'd like me to discuss on the program. Go to bobpritchard.com. Tweet me. Send me a bloody carrier pigeon. I don't care. Just make sure that you get in touch. And, you know, the country's starting to pick up. It's starting to really move again. Let's all do our bit. Let's all get out there and get this country moving. Now, I'll be back in just a couple of minutes with my guest, Rob Dickens, CBE, former chairman of Warner Brothers Music. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, 
advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Radio Show. I really appreciate you being with me tonight. This segment is about the business of show business. What happens behind the scenes, how it works, not the crap that you read in the tabloids. And when I talk about show business, I mean it in the really the broadest form. We've had actors, singers, theme park attraction builders, gold medalists, and tonight we're fortunate to have Rob Dickens, one of the heavyweights of the world music recording industry with us. Rob was managing director of Warner Brothers Music Publishing, then appointed international vice president when he personally signed up Vangelis, the Sex Pistols, among others. He later became the chairman of Warner Music UK and made the company hugely profitable with artists such as Prince, Foreigner, ZZ Top and Madonna driving the profits. Rob brought Seal, Simply Red and Sher to the label. He also constructed Sher's song Believe with six writers that didn't meet each other until they picked up all their awards and worked with Rod Stewart. He works extensively with the arts and was honoured by the Queen with a CBE and in 2003 was named Man of the Year receiving the Music Industry Trust Award. Now I've caught Rob at 11 o'clock at night in London after a big night out and he's in the music industry and he's sober. Now that's a, that's quite a... Um, Quite a claim to fame. Hi, Rob. How are you? Hi, I'm Bob. I'm sober. That's all you need to know. That is fantastic. Um, in the last 15 years, I don't, I don't quite... I, I had several singles back in the 60s. It gives you an idea of how old I am. And uh, we used to record them and then run them around the radio stations and beg and plead and bribe to get them played. But in the last 15 years... Um, Everything's changed, hasn't it? It's been turned on its head. So, and as I understand it, the, the days of producing an album and running around all the stations and doing all that, that seems to be over. Um, is the focus now totally on singles and the internet, or is that too simple? I think that's, I think that's much too simple. I think that the, the running around radio stations and more these days television stations is still the key to breaking an artist and to making the big sales. We now live in an environment where there are a million ways to get your music heard. But when uh, when I was growing up in the business, there were very few. Um, so now, if you if you're creating music, 
you do not have to go to a record company to get a record deal. You can actually put your music out there. The only trouble with doing that, of course, is so are a million other people at the same time. Yeah. So you have so many more access points now than you ever had, but still the radio, the television, the record company are acting as filters. So you've got more music now than ever before, but the filters are still as dominant as ever, and that is the traditional means that we all grew up with. So does radio play actually matter anymore? I mean, I, I sit in my car and I listen to um, satellite radio now. I never listen to regular terrestrial radio, and I don't, I don't know anybody that does. So, And most people seem to be sitting there glued to their iPod or whatever they're glued to. So does actual radio matter that much anymore? Well, radio matters in the fact that when it broadcasts four minutes of music, yeah. it's heard by a lot, a lot of people at the same time. Right. So radio audiences are as big as they ever were. Um, again, we have more ways of listening to music and having, you know, making your own compilations, making your own. But all you're really doing there is repeating your own playlist. So you're really sort of on a downward spiral of discovery by right. starting with the uh, with a world that you already know and then listening to that time and time again. So the actual point of listening to radio or going online to discover music um, is still incredibly important because people, as much as they're very happy listening to music they either grew up with or they're familiar with or they're comfortable with, there's still the cutting edge still makes a hell of a lot of difference and that really is about new discovery. A new discovery comes from radio and the internet now. So is it, is it about, is the important thing about radio, say, over, over the internet or MTV, is it most important thing that, it, that you get a lot of people hearing it at the same time so that gives impetus to the sale? So exactly. It's a synchronicity of 100,000 people hearing one piece of music at the same time and maybe 2,000 people going out and buying it as a result. That you can't get with the internet because you don't know who else is listening to it at the same time. So you, it's a radio, whether it's broadcast or it's internet radio, um, such as Last FM or Pandora or any of the new kind of um, discovery music stations, yeah. it's still incredibly important. So is this given a big advantage to the uh, smaller record labels or the independent record labels or are the big record labels just as important as they always were? Well, the big record labels um, have the connections with radio and television. Yeah. They also have, not that anyone at radio and television would agree, would, would agree to this, <laughs> but, but in effect, if you've got the biggest act in the world yeah. um, and you're talking to a TV station about a new act, they want access to your big acts. Sure. So they're not, they're not going to upset you by not listening. They're not going to just play it because you want them to play it. Yeah. but they will give special treatment in the way they listen to your new acts because they, right. they still want access to your big acts. Now, that works whether you're a, a small label or a big label if yeah, you've got sure. big acts, but the, the big, big labels have the bigger acts and have more of them. Mm. Therefore, when it comes to television and radio, it's an advantage. And it comes to money, it's an advantage in terms of marketing, promotion, all the other things you can do. So the big record labels... And not yet dinosaurs, as if they're, they're being written off as. They, they are still incredibly powerful um, machines to make talent, to turn talent into success. But whereas they used to be 
those in the medium and and independence, were these to be the only way of it happening, they now um, are, are a major part, but not all of it. So the, the, the landscape's changed in that effect. Yeah, you do hear about the the imminent death of the of the labels. Um, so, well, the imminent death of the labels is because they just keep eating each other. When I started the music business, you know, there was Island Records and Virgin Records and RCA and CBS and Warners and Electro. And, you know, they, all these things existed as separate entities. Yeah. And now, of course, there are three. Right. So the, the way they're, they're reducing themselves is just by, you know, cannibalism. It's not, it's, it's not really by erosion. So this big change that um, has happened in the way we market, um, market our music... Who's that disadvantaged the most? The record companies, the music publishers, the artists, or the public? Or who, who's really been disadvantaged by this? Well, I think the entire business is disadvantaged by the fact there is so much illegal consumption of music. Yeah. I mean, it's, re- it's reckoned to be in excess of seventy-five percent of music is consumed um, wow. sort of outside of people paying for it. Wow. Um, so, th- but that's always existed in physical form as well with piracy and CD and and cassette piracy um, so it's that entire everyone that participates from the artists of the record companies suffer from that and that is a product of technology Techno- technology has allowed access to music but it's also access to have music for free is that is that a um, you know people people here particularly in the US are always saying if everybody paid half as much tax everybody would Stick their hand up and own up and pay all the tax that you, that you, on tax money you you earned, which I think is a bunch of crap because I think if people are going to cheat in their tax, they're going to cheat no matter what the level of tax is. However, is that the same with music? I mean, do people say, well, bloody, why am I going to pay a buck fifty for a song? Um, why don't and I can get it for free? Yeah, well, or if it was fifty cents, would they buy it and not run the risk of doing it illegally? I have a feeling, I don't think there's any risk of doing it illegally, really. I mean, I don't think people sit there, and it's, it's a bit like driving at sort of 35 in a 30 mile limit. I don't think people yeah. think they're breaking the law when they do it. So, yeah. um, they know they are, but I don't think they feel that risk of it. Would they do it? I, I'm a big believer, um, uh, and, and probably in the minority, is that I do think it matters. Yeah. I think when, when the potential consumption of music is in the hundreds of millions, if not billions. Yeah. Um, we, we can see from the downloads of a Lady Gaga or a, or a Dell videos that yeah. there are hundreds of millions of people consuming music. Yeah. I think, and if you're thinking that 75% of them are not paying for it, I have a feeling that if the price came down to a significant level, yeah. which it is doing by erosion, but I think if it was a decision made, yeah. that if you put music out online at a very very affordable price yeah then i think a lot of people would go i'm very happy with paying this small amount for it and i think you'd get a huge increase in small amounts that would be far in excess of what you get from today but what's happening is it's happening by erosion whereas people used to buy an album for you know 10 15 bucks um and now they're, they're picking two or three tracks. Right. So, so to get the, what their enjoyment of an album, they're probably paying $3. Yeah. So yeah. it's already gone down dramatically. 
but it's seen as the consumer doing that and not as the record industry or the music industry doing that. So I, I have a feeling that it will get to a, uh, an amount, whether it's through subscription models or other ways of happening, that, that uh, streaming is, you know, obviously the new one, um, where pay, paying for play will be minute but enormous numbers. Right. And I think that's, that's what the future is going to be. Um, and it will probably be through something like Facebook. I think Facebook, you know, could end up being the most important music network wow. because it's already got so many people on it. Yeah, that 700 it, million or something. So if you can go on it and, and get music and then there's a payment structure worked out within something like that, uh, there's a lot of thought that needs to go into where it goes to next because always a lot of the music industry sticks to the old models if we're living in the... CD explosion of the late 80s. Yeah. Um, and they're still trying to have that business model to go forward, and that business model has been shattered. Yeah. But they're still clinging on to it. That's and there's right. a lot of backward thinking in the music industry, where, and a lot of forward thinking in the technology industries, in the Googles, the Facebooks. They're thinking about the future, and the record industry is still trying to hold on to getting the 15 bucks for the CD. Yeah, and I also, I also believe that they're missing a trick, because... Um, for the fan who wants the physical product yep. and doesn't want to just have a name on a playlist, yep. then there's a way of getting like a high cost. At the moment, the CD is in a flimsy jewel box that falls apart with lyrics you can't read because they're printed so small, yep. um, particularly if you get to our age. Well, um, That's right. <laughs> and, and, and a fan wants more. A fan wants something limited edition. They want, And we've seen this with Nine Inch Nails and... Um, bands who actually give their fan base something special, that the fan base pays a lot of money for it. Yeah. Way more than the 10, 15 bucks of the old days. But you're getting something, you should be able to get something physically special for a higher amount, and then something that is just a digital file for a lower amount. That's my thought process. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So, are music publishers and the record labels still as important in the industry or is self you know recording in your kitchen with an apple I, I, i'm thinking back to the last album by um uh the la i can't think of a name but the lady out of canada uh f phenomenal singer who, who yeah, recorded, yeah who recorded the whole thing the whole album in a in a kitchen on an apple and it was just brilliant <laughs> that, that well there is that is the fact that you can technology has changed it was, you know, it was about a hundred thousand dollars to make a record, a, a sort of fairly basic recording. Yeah. Um, and now you can do it for nothing. Yeah. So that has changed the ability to make music. So the record companies love it, right? No, the record companies still have to pay. You know, they basically pay an artist in advance. In advances, they pay them what they think they're going to earn. If they think they're going to earn a million dollars, then perhaps they're paying a million dollars. The album may cost a million dollars to make. It may cost five dollars to make. Yeah. But that's that the record companies are not getting off any lighter because the cost of making music has gone down. What the artist has got is the ability to make records without a record company saying or a music publisher saying, "We're going to give you the chance." So the chance has occurred. So for creativity, it's fantastic. Right. And and for the record companies, it doesn't make much difference in terms of their. Um, of, of their profit and cash base. Rob, unfortunately, we've just about run out of time, so thanks very, very much for being on the show, particularly at the end of a long night. I know it's about midnight, so you 
probably dying to get to bed. Um, I've I'm in the a rental lot. business. I don't go to bed of it now. <laughs> you sit up and drink Coke and, and <laughs> eat chips. <laughs> well, it's Bob Pritchard, and I'll be right back after this short break with answers to your emails. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. We're heard all around the world at this time, each week. And for those of you who are regular listeners, we know you know that at this time we normally have a, an interview. But instead today I'm going to talk about United Airlines and their absolutely total disregard for their customers. We often talk about customer service on this program and how important it is. It's been demonstrated that with the most successful companies, customer service and resulting word of mouth drives 80% of sales. Only 20% are driven by advertising. It is that important. You might recall when United broke Dave Carroll's guitar and he released that wonderful video, United Breaks Guitars which was viewed some 20 million times and reportedly cost United Airlines $180 million in lost business. I would have thought that United would have learned the damage that one really pissed-off customer can do. Well, they didn't. I've flown some 4 million miles with United, just to put that in some sort of perspective. That is approximately 160 times around the world. It's a lot. So what do United care? Absolutely nothing. Before I get to this week, let's go back a bit. I give about 50 to 70 speeches a year around the world to some you know, 20,000 to 50,000 executives of major companies 91 of them Fortune 500s on five continents. Now, I was approached by a United manager to talk about them positively in all my presentations, and I'd receive a global membership in return. So when you're flying as many miles as I do, global services membership makes life a hell of a lot easier. 
At that time, I'd always had great service from United and was happy to give them a strong promotion every time I spoke. So, you know, 50,000 people a year for years and years and years, all senior executives, all flying a lot, all got my cell on United. Then, out of the blue, they took away my global services membership. No phone call, no email, just a letter saying I wasn't spending enough money with the airline. Now, when you take into account my miles, and don't forget um, my clients pay for most of my um, my travel, and staff and consultants that I work with and all the members of our team fly United because I fly United, but that wasn't good enough for them. So I'd probably sold United at that stage to a million business executives, a million, and then they just cut me dead without any notice whatsoever. So since then, I've been flying lots of airlines. United rarely gets my business. I just fly enough to keep my 1K status. They don't care. Customers are just cannon fodder for United. So let's get to this week. I was booked to go to Sydney last Saturday for some business meetings. The flight was to leave at 10.15pm. There are a couple of announcements while we were sitting in the lounge that provided us with no real information, just a couple of change times. And then at 11.30pm, when we'd all been sitting there for at least three hours, they announced the flight was cancelled. Now, everybody at that stage had been up for 16 or 18 hours and they'd expected to have dinner on the flight. So United then said, well, we'll give everybody a hotel room and a $10 voucher for a meal. First of all, you don't get much for $10 and certainly don't get a lot at the airport for $10 at midnight when every bloody thing is closed, including most of the toilets. So United then announced that we'll all go the next night. They'll put on a special flight the next night and we'll all go, Sunday night. So we all scrambled to get in a number of huge lines that just sort of formed and we got in lines like sheep with no system by United and no organisation in place whatsoever. Every Everywhere you saw somebody standing behind a desk, you went and lined up. And United staff were having little meetings trying to work out what the hell to do. While we passengers, we're all frantically calling people in Australia, trying to rearrange meetings, calling our, um, our people, at our, our relations at home, our wives and kids, changing flights. It was a nightmare. So we're all lined up like sheep after a very, very long day. No food, six hours at the airport, nothing open in the airport to eat, several hundred unhappy people and frustrated United staff. So I spoke to several of the United Customer Service staff, and each of them really criticised the airline. Now, it's unusual when staff absolutely get stuck into their, the company that they work for. To a person that I spoke to, they said the organisation and the service have gone from bad to worse over the past few years, and if I wanted more information, they would happily provide it. I have a number of people's names that I've taken down, and uh, we just might pursue that in coming weeks. So I decided, though, that rather than go to a hotel, I'd go home, as I live in Los Angeles. So... Mr. United, could I please get my check bags? No, sorry, that's not possible. 
Um, well, can I get a cab home and send the bill to United? No, sorry, not possible. But I could get a voucher for a shuttle bus. Now, their system wasn't working properly, so I waited for one and a half hours to get a voucher for a shuttle bus. Then, of course, shuttle buses are few and far between at two o'clock in the morning. I finally got home after three. But it doesn't stop there. The next night, Sunday night, I went out to the airport to catch the rescheduled flight to Sydney. I'm 24 hours late getting to Sydney, but I'm finally going to be on my way. I've managed to reschedule all the meetings I've got in Sydney to the following day, and things are okay. 9.30pm, I boarded the flight, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. Again, very few announcements, sweltering hot on the plane, no food, they gave everybody one half glass of water. Now, why they only fill them up half full when you're sitting on the ground? I know, understand why they're doing it at 30,000 feet. But when you're sitting on the ground, why do they give you a half full glass of water? So you think United, then they cancel the flight. So again, two nights in a row, cancel flight. It's now. 1am and we've got off the plane. Now, you would have thought that United would have all the flights rebooked, new boarding passes printed, hotels booked, vouchers printed, all ready for the passengers when they got off the plane. After all, they'd done the same thing exactly the night before. No way. That would take organisation. And despite the bullshit that the CEO feeds you in his videotape message when you get on the plane, organisation and United do not go in the same sentence. So here we are, second night in a row at 3am after having spent a total of 16 hours at the airport, eight hours each night with two cancelled flights. At 1.30am, I spent 30 minutes trying to get a United person to even talk to me. No way. Why should they talk to me? I'm only one of those bloody pesky passengers that get in the way. Why do we need them anyway? Remember... I've only flown 4 million miles with this company. They don't give a damn. I finally got another shuttle bus, and with a lot of persuasive talking to the shuttle bus organiser, finally got a shuttle and arrived home at 3.30am, second night in a row. United then sent me an email saying, sorry, the flight was cancelled twice in a row, but we've got three compensation choices, 30,000 bonus miles, which gets you from, you know, Los Angeles to San Diego, 600 bucks off any full-price ticket. And as you know, the full-price tickets, nobody ever buys a full-price ticket. Or 20% off any full-price domestic ticket. Again, nobody buys a full-price domestic ticket that's two grand from LA to New York or whatever it is. So this is no compensation whatsoever for sitting in an airport for 16 hours in stifling conditions on a plane, going absolutely nowhere, cancelling, rescheduling and recancelling meetings in Sydney, and I met other passengers book package holidays, totally screwed. A couple going to a wedding, totally screwed. Unaccompanied children had to stay at the airport for three days. And the stories go on. 
No meals or drinks. Totally unsatisfactory transport arrangements. For those who wanted to go home, United gave super shuttle vouchers. But there was no communication with Super Shuttle in advance to warn them of the late, the late night influx of people so that passengers would not have to wait in long queues at that time of night. Of course, the next day, Super Shuttle wants to pick you up at 5.30 for a 10.15 flight, so I took a cab. But despite United throwing my life into total disarray for 48 hours, they will not reimburse me. Yet another long and unnecessary wait at the airport. I must make it clear, you know, that I've experienced many wonderful United staff, but United's just beyond the pale. The stories I was told by United staff were horrific. The staff told me that our plane on the second night, which was put on especially for all the people from the night before, mechanical problems early in the day when it was sent to LA. So when we boarded, United knew that it had mechanical problems. We were told that the regular scheduled 10.15 flight to Sydney on the second night had to dump fuel and return to LAX. As I said earlier, I've flown 4 million miles with United, but the head office in Chicago don't give a damn whether you've flown one mile or 4 million. As I said earlier, I have flown 4 million miles. It's unbelievable. The customer service on the planes has deteriorated, as has the quality of the food they serve. The United staff I spoke to on Saturday and Sunday nights are demoralised and are eager, eager to tell stories of an airline that doesn't care about them either. And if you don't care about your staff, how can you provide loyalty? This simply isn't good enough. If United can't get its house in order, then some regulatory body should force them to. It costs people valuable time, valuable and treasured vacations, family moments and loss of income. Sometimes planes do have mechanical problems which can't be helped. It's how passengers are treated and compensated for this inconvenience that I'm talking about. The Singapore Airlines, the Cathay Pacifics, the Etihads and the others really make up for it. You know, as I said many times, four out of five sales are due to word of mouth. Harvard Business School says when someone has poor customer service, they tell 633 people. If that's so, then the passengers on United with two cancelled flights in two days and really pissed off have told about 750,000 people and I'm telling another 250,000. That's a million people that are complaining about United. That will translate into huge amounts of lost business. Business fares are the backbone of any airline. That is where their profit is. I spoke to at least 20 people in business class who will never fly with United again. You know, they could have done a few simple things. One, keep people informed with regular announcements. Two, give us drinks. I'm not talking about beer, just water would be nice. Have the cabin crew visible instead of running like rats to hide in a hole somewhere. Have staff be empathetic. We're not interested in their comments that they are also inconvenienced. Have a system in place when this happens. Not just 300 passengers scrambling to talk to anybody in a uniform. And then properly compensate us and be meaningful about it. They need to have a good, hard look at what they are providing. United pays us lip service only. As I said, United provided 
probably 500 people with an absolutely horrendous experience. I'll be back straight after the break. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Thanks for being with me. Due to the great response we've been having from you, listeners, the final segment of today's show will again be totally dedicated to emails and answering your questions. The reason this segment is so popular is that irrespective of the size of your business, no matter what you do, we all face the same issues. We all have the same challenges. It doesn't matter whether you're in retail, a plumber, a painter, or running an auto repair shop. So even though I might be answering an email from the owner of a factory that makes lawnmowers, the answer will most likely also apply to you in your business. And don't forget, if I read your email, you'll get a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, and that'll give you the 15 keys that you need to be successful. The first email today is from Lucy Sullivan of Miami, Florida, who's one of the partners in a veterinary practice. Before I get to Lucy's email, um, I've got to say great it is to see so many ladies listening to the show. I'm pleased you're listening, and I hope you tell all your friends to tune in. Now, back to Lucy's email. Dear Bob, great show, really helpful to us in small business where we don't have any real business training and are guided by gut instincts. The interview last week with Les Hall was terrific and reinforced what we'd already been thinking. We buy advertising in the Miami Herald and we get very mediocre response and often no response at all. Everyone we talk to seems to agree that using the web is the way to go. To be honest, we don't even know where to start. Lucy, a vital step is to get to know your customers better. You know, just having demographics don't cut it today. So before you can start, you've got to ask yourself these questions. One, what's your customer's online behaviour? What do they do online and where? Are they in Facebook or Twitter or forums or do they go to news and, and media or in private networks? Do they produce or consume content? Until you know where they go, 
it's hard to get to them. So second question is, what are their typical profiles? Aren't people who will buy online from you the same or different than those you read, reach offline? What sites will reach those customer profiles? Fourthly, what content and online experiences are your customers looking for? Do you need social media to drive awareness, to give them ideas, to help them with their pets, to aid sales, or give um, post-sale customer support? Where's the opportunity for you? What's the customer need that's not being fulfilled? And what are customers saying about you, your competition, and the marketplace? Lucy, these answers will help you determine what the customers want and the social media that you need to use to reach them, to build a following. Our second email, I hope that helps you. Our second email is from Nathan Isaacson from Beverly Glen in Los Angeles. Nathan writes, Dear Bob, thanks for your show. I listen to it at work and it helps me focus my thoughts on how I can do better tomorrow. My issue is that my family operates a DVD and video game rental business and we have been unable to think of a hook that will get people in the door rather than go to a competitor of which there are quite a few. Competition's pretty tough as less people seem to be renting movies and the vending machines are all also biting into our business. Nathan, thanks for your email. I do understand your position. I've been involved with um, our video stores before. It must be tough with on-demand movies on TV, Netflix, vending machines, etc., as well as your just competitive stores. I also understand that the margins are pretty skinny. Nathan, the first thing to realise is that price is not the major influencer in a number of, in the majority of purchases. Most business owners jump in here and say, "Well, it is in my business. It's all about price." Nathan, I've been in consulting to business for nearly forty years, and I've never known it to be true. Now, the car industry says their business is about price, yet look around. There's lots of Mercedes and BMWs that are certainly not bought on price. So when you go to the supermarket, do you buy brands or generics? Most people buy brands, even though they know the generics are identical. So you don't have to have the lowest prices in town. First, ensure your store has a great ambiance, maybe some music. You must always be really happy and friendly and call people by name if you can. Popcorn is cheap. Perhaps give each customer a bag of popcorn that you pop fresh on the premises. A few years ago, we created a promotion for a company called Civic Video where we promoted, if you don't like the movie you rented, we will swap it for free. At first, they thought we were nuts. They had a fit. They're renting Hangover 2 or Iron Lady and then bring it back saying, I hated the movie, I want to swap it, and then constantly swapping and never buying for another movie in their life. The reality is that people are honest. The promotion increased rentals by over 200% and less than one quarter of 1%. That's one person in 400 returned the movie to swap. Try it. I guarantee it works. A my book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, it's on its way to you. My final email today comes from Richard Ainsworth of Holstein Park near Chicago. Richard writes, Dear Bob, absolutely love the show. I found it totally by accident. You need to get the network to promote your show. It really is great for small businesses. A couple of weeks ago, you talked about how small increments in performance make a huge increase in profits. 
You used it as a justification to provide fantastic service. I must admit, I really didn't understand what you meant. Well, Richard, if you make one sale a year to a thousand customers at a hundred bucks each sale, revenue, which is a thousand by a hundred, is a hundred thousand dollars. Now, if you increase the number of customers to 1.3 a year and the price by 33% and, and the price per sale by 33%, the number of sales by 33%, your revenue increase is 235%. So a 33% increase in your sales makes a 235% difference in your total revenue. It's really fantastic. Conversely, if you discount by just 33%, by the time you take into account all of your costs, just your purchasing price of the item, you will actually lose money almost certainly every single time. So keep your prices up and your service even higher and kick ass is on its way to you. Don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com, sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, become my friend on LinkedIn and tell me what it is that you want to talk about. That's it from me today. This is Bob Pritchard and I look forward to being here with you again this time next week. Thank you. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.